All right, all right, all right. How many are happy to be in the house of God? Can you say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, we're doing it. We're doing this thing. We got to do this thing. We're doing it. Come on, somebody. Let's go. We're not creeping. We're not crawling. But we're in fifth gear. And we are going somewhere. Good to see you all here this morning at Living Hope Christian Center. No better place to be than the house of the Lord. So it's good to see you here this morning. We are in the midst of our physical one things process. For those of you who don't know the, what one things is, one things is an eight-part process of developing the eight major areas of our lives. We started with our spirituality. Now we're on our physicality, physical health. After that, we're going to talk about our money and then our family and then our fellowship, friendships, and then our vocation and then our mission. And so there's eight areas that we're going to cover and we're going to grow. In each area, we're going to spend three months on it. So it's a two-year process from start to finish. So that means it may be your first day here, but you can't leave for the next two years till we, till we finish this. <laughs> we got to get this. You're stuck. You're just stuck. You can't go nowhere. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but really, though. But no, I'm just kidding. But, but for real. <laughs> Today is part three of our first focus in our One Things process. In the month of September, I've been preaching a series, a three-part series entitled The Body and the Bible. The Body and the Bible. And this is part three of that three-part series. This is the exciting conclusion to that series. And I know you have been waiting all week long. Every waking moment of your day, you have been anticipating what I have to say here today. You couldn't even concentrate on your work or your school or your family because you couldn't wait for this message. And so here it is, folks. Uh, Here it is. If you missed the first two messages, you can download them on our website for absolutely free. On our website podcast, you can also subscribe to that podcast and get our weekly messages in your inbox, uh, not in your inbox, but on your, on, in your iTunes. Uh, they'll download every week for you so that you can stay in touch with what the Lord is saying here in this house. All right. Are we ready? I want to say one more thing about your physical one thing before I go on. Now, many of you here have not chosen your physical one thing. And what your physical one thing is, is a practice, a habit that you're going to form and incorporate into your life. When we're talking about your physical one thing, just like your spiritual one thing, we're not talking about a temporary thing. We're talking about a lifelong habit that you want to incorporate into your life, a lifelong habit that you want to develop. The thing we need to understand about lifelong habits is that they're not incorporated every night, uh, every, just in a day, they're not incorporated overnight. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and have a completely different uh, l- pattern of, of life simply overnight. And so what we want to do is take the month of September to determine what your one thing is. Some of you have have chosen a one thing, but then realize it was too hard. Tweak it. Talk to the members of your small group. Say, you know, this is what I came up with. Uh, Others of you, you you picked a one thing, but it's too soft. It doesn't, it doesn't change your life at all. It's like, I'm going to take five deep breaths every morning before I go to, you know, that's nice, but you know, probably pass out, you know? And also the thing about your one thing, I want to underscore this again and again and again, that your physical one thing is not just about your weight. Weight is not the only component of physical health. Some of us need to lose some weight. Some of us need to gain some weight. And some of us, our one thing should have nothing to do with our weight. It should simply have to do with maybe, you know, Lily brought this to my attention at at her her small group. She says, some of y'all need to go to the doctor. Some of y'all haven't gone to the doctor. Some of you will put a, some of you will send a message out to all your friends and say, pray for me. My left arm is swelling up and and going numb. Pray for me. Say, I'm going to pray you all the way to the hospital. When was the last time you got a checkup? right? Some of you need to get some tests done. You need to go. Sometimes God uses the other hand. Just because we believe in a God who heals does not mean that we, uh, we, we reject the whole medical profession. 
I see medicine as God's other hand. And whether you're healed in the hospital or healed sovereignly and divinely by God or a combination of both, it was all God. Amen. God is the source of all healing. Yeah. Amen? And so we need to get on that. So I want to encourage you not to feel down on yourself if you haven't nailed down your one thing yet. I want us to spend the rest of the month of September. You've got two more weeks. I just want you to be intentional about talking about it with your friends, with your small group leaders, with yourself, and just determining what can I do? What practice can I initiate in my life? And I want you to think not something like so overwhelming that it's going to kill you. Your one thing should be small enough to encourage you but big enough to challenge you. And you've got to find the middle ground there, and we need each other to help, our, help us do that. For instance, I started off by saying my physical one thing is to eat only 1,700 calories a day. I had several people come to me and say, Pastor, that's not enough. That's not enough. You're not going to be able to substantiate. You're not going to be able to, to keep that. And you know what I found? They were absolutely right. So I'm going to have to tweak that a little bit. But it's not too late to tweak it. You're not locked into it for the rest of your life. You hear what I'm it's not something you're going to be in bondage to. It's something that's going to bring you freedom. Amen? All right, now we're going to get into the message, part three, the body and the Bible. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. We are going to talk about the body as a sacrifice. The body as a sacrifice. I know the moment I said body and sacrifice, half of y'all wanted to get up and run out of here. So I don't, do I really want to hear this? Yeah, you want to hear it, all right. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. When you get there, say amen. Amen. I like it in the New King James Version, and this is what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, brethren, brethren. I love that word, brethren. We're the brethren. It includes the sisterin. (laughs) I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of of worship. Repeat after me. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Come on, get some rhythm. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now stop looking at your Bibles. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. One more time. A living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> Try it. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, worship. Uh. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, worship. Uh, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, of worship. Beginning. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, worship. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies. Come on. What? Which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, of worship. Again, I beseech you. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, worship. Again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, one more time. I be. Come on. You know what rap is? You know, you know what rap is? You know what rap is? It is a form of meditation. You know, I, lo- I love to rap the scriptures. Because when I put it into a rhythm, when I put it into a meter, it makes it more digestible by the mind. And secondly, it just sounds good. It sounds right. It just kind of falls into the pocket. And you find yourself walking down the street like, I beseech you, therefore, brother. You know, you be at your job and people are like, man, is he listening to Jay-Z? I'm just like, they get close, you be like, I beseech you, therefore, brother, mother. You know, you just find yourself like, just like falling into the pocket. You know what I'm talking about? You got to get it in you. You got to get it in you. Come on, somebody. Mm. You know, we got to be multi-generational on purpose. You know, we got to do some stuff for the younger folks. We got to do some stuff for the older folks. And we need the younger, younger folks to know that we need the older folks. We need the older folks to know that you need the younger folks. We need each other in this church. We're going to be, talk, we're going to be talking more in, in the future about being multi-generational on purpose. Amen. All right, now back to the message. <laughs> Paul says, I beseech you. I love that New King James English. I beseech you. We don't use that word anymore. It's kind of archaic. It's, it's old school language. It's old English. I beseech. When was the last time you said that? Son, I beseech you. Take out that garbage. Kent never said that to you, Aaron. I beseech you. <laughs> no, he probably said, I'm about to beat you. <laughs> Take out that garbage. <laughs> to beseech, it's to urge. There's a sense of urgency that goes with it. I'm urging you. I'm beseeching you, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies that he just spent 11 chapters talking about in the book of Romans. Matter of fact, you can take the book of Romans and draw a line down the middle right between chapters 11 and 12. Right after the last verse of chapter 11 and right before the first verse of chapter 12, you can draw a line right down the beginning. And everything in the first 11 chapters is theology. It's about the mercies of God. It's about what God has done in sending his son Christ Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he teaches us that that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we 
shall be saved. It's in the first 11 chapters that he teaches us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans that he teaches us that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto the salvation of all who believe for the Jew first and, and also for the Greek. He teaches us about salvation. He teaches us about righteousness. He says now that there is a righteousness of God that has been revealed that is not of the law, but is by faith in Jesus Christ. He teaches us that through, so through our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have access into the grace in which we now stand. He teaches us about this grace of Jesus Christ that pulls us up out of the miry clay and that sets our foot upon a rock. He teaches us what God did in sending his own son, and he teaches us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he teaches us that what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who gave his own son, but spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also with him give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? What can separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in the first 11 chapters that he gives us all of that rich theology. Then he gets to chapter 12 and he turns a corner. I beseech you. He didn't do any beseeching in the first 11 chapters. I beseech you. I'm urging you. He's saying what I'm getting ready to say next. And everything he says from chapter 12 to the end of the book is flowing out of this this command. This I beseech you. I beseech you to respond to the mercies of God that you've received in Christ Jesus through faith. And this is what your response is. Based on everything I've said in 11 chapters, this is your response. Present your body. In other words, what he's saying is everything that I've said to you in the first 11 chapters of this book has to do with your physical body. The result of all of it is the presentation of your body to God. And he says the presentation or offering of your body to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And that word spiritual literally means reasonable. Meaning, it makes sense. Just, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I beseech you to come to the proper conclusion based upon everything I've said in these 11 chapters. If you are not presenting your body to God, you don't understand anything I said in the first 11 chapters. The presentation of the body to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of Worship, And it's interesting that he uses that word worship there. And I said to you during the, the, the worship time that there's two Greek words for worship. One is proskuneo, which means to bow down. It means to lay down on your face. If a king came into your presence and you were a, a member of the ancient world, you were living in the ancient world, if a king walked in this room right now, we would all lay down on our faces. It's called proskuneo. Bow down before the Lord. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's the monarch of all the earth. When he comes into your presence, bow down. You lay down on your face. You fall down prostrate before the Lord. In John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he says to her, she says, you know, our fathers say worship on this mountain, but yours say worship on that mountain. Jesus says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will not worship on this mountain or that mountain, but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And he used the word proskuneo, the true worshipers will proskuneo in spirit and in truth. That is, instead of laying their bodies on the floor, they're going to bow down their hearts before the Lord. But what proskuneo is, is a sign. It is an outward sign of an inner reality. 
When you sing and you lift your hands and worship, it's not a show. It's a sign. For some folks, it's a show because there ain't nothing on the inside. But for some folks, it's a sign because when I'm singing out loud with all of my heart, when I'm lifting my hands, when I'm dancing before the Lord, it's a sign. I want him to see that in my heart, Lord, I love you with my heart. In my heart and my soul, I offer myself to you, not just with the words of my mouth, but let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. It's a sign. It's a physical outward sign of an inward reality. But the second Greek word is latreia, and it means service. And latreia is what the priests did in the Old Testament. Only the priests did latreia. It was their service to the Lord. It was the offering of their lives to the Lord. Latreia for the priests in the Old Testament meant my whole life belongs to the Lord. And whenever the priests would show up at the tabernacle or the temple and go about their duties, they were doing latreia. Latreia was the life of the priest. And in the Old Testament, only the priest made an offering to God. Follow me here. If you wanted to make an offering to God, you didn't just waltz up in the tabernacle and throw your offering on the altar. You brought a live animal and you stopped at the door of the temple or the tabernacle and the priest would come to the door and look at your offering and decide whether to accept it or reject it. You better take this little diseased sheep back home. <laughs> Putting this diseased sheep, you want us to get struck? <laughs> Little three-legged sheep come on. <laughs> you know, you're going to take that thing back home. Half-blind sheep. Just walk it up in here. You know? No. But if the priest accepted your offering, the priest would go, okay, this will work. This will work. Yeah, this will do. God will accept this. And then the priest would say, okay, step back. He'd take out his knife, slit that throat. Drain all the blood out of it. Cut under it. Pull out all the intestines. The priest did it, not you. Wash it out so that nothing unclean was laid on the altar before God. And when the offering was acceptable, and when the offering was holy, spotless, blameless, when every impurity was removed from the offering, the priest would take it and go up to the brazen altar, carry it up the steps of the brazen altar, and lay it on the altar before God. The offering had to be pure. It had to be holy. It had to be acceptable to God. You remember in Malachi? You ever read the book of Malachi? God went gangster in the book of Malachi. Why did he go gangster? Because he said, you offered me these little disease-ridden sheep. You wouldn't even offer that to your governor, but would you offer it to me? Oh, snap. Paul flips the script. He says, it's different now. We're in a new covenant now. In the old covenant, the priests served the Lord for you. In the old covenant, there was a professional clergy that served God on behalf of the people. No more in this new covenant. Your pastor is not the one who's there. You pay him to live holy for you. Your pastor's not the one in the house that you pay to serve the Lord for you. You're not going to church to watch the pastor serve the Lord, to watch the worship team serve the Lord. No, every member of the New Testament community is a priest. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. To him who has loved us and redeemed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests. Unto his God and King. To him be glory in the church forever. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us kings and priests unto his God and King. Let me tell you something. You are a priest. And that's why you are qualified to make an offering before God. You don't have to leave it with the priest. You don't come to church to drop off your offering. You come to church to 
be the offering. You present, Paul says, I beseech you to present. You are to make the offering before God. You're not dependent on anybody else to do it. Your mama can't do it. I hear too many people say, thank God my mama's praying for me. Let me tell you something. You need to go beyond your mama praying for you and you start praying for you. My grandmama prayed for me every day. Well, your grandmama, listen, your grandmama's prayers are wonderful. And don't get me wrong, I don't belittle your prayers of your grandma. I had two grandmothers that prayed for me until the day they died. But the day came in my infancy, I needed them to pray for me. But the day came when I had to grow up and say, either I'm going to talk to God for myself or nothing of substance is going to happen in my life. My grandmother cannot make an offering to God on my behalf. I got to make it myself. You present. And he says, you present your bodies. You know what offering God wants from you? Your body. Your body. He wants your physical body. Giving God your physical body. You say, how do I offer God my physical body? The first thing you need to understand is that your body is an instrument. Now, last Sunday we talked about the body as an instrument, or the, the body as an instrument of the soul. But in actuality, the soul is not a neutral entity. The soul exists in one of two realms. It cannot exist in its own realm. The soul is not a realm. The soul can either exist in the flesh, which is the realm of sin's operations, or in the spirit, which is the realm of God's operations. The soul and the flesh is what Paul called a carnal mind. The soul and the spirit is what Paul called a spiritual mind. When your soul resides in the flesh, that is when your mind is focused on the things of this world, and you're living in the realm of sin's operations, then your body will become an instrument of unrighteousness. That is the song that the soul will play on your body is a song called sin, or what we might call evil pleasures. But when your mind is focused on the things of the spirit, your soul will play a completely different song with your body. And that song is called righteousness. So Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He says, let God, let the Spirit of God through your soul play a song on your body called righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness means right relationships. Whenever you see that word righteousness, what you're looking at is relationships that are right. Relationships with God, number one, your relationship with God got to be right. Number two, your relationship with yourself has to be right. And number three, your relationship with others has to be right. And when you're right with God, right with yourself, and right with others, my friend, you are righteous. Now, when we're talking about the presentation of the body to God, there is an Old Testament corollary. And that Old Testament corollary can be found in Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 17, God brings to Abraham the sign of the covenant. Remember, God has been walking with Abraham for, for decades now. And Abraham has not yet brought Isaac into the world. But the time for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham and bring about Isaac into the world, Ishmael's already born. But the time is at hand for God to fulfill his promise. And so God comes to Abraham and he says, before I fulfill my promise, I'm going to bring you into covenant. 
Now remember earlier on, I believe in Genesis 15, God made covenant with Abraham. He took the two pieces of an animal and had Abraham, he put Abraham into a deep sleep and then God passed between it and God made covenant with Abraham. He promised, this is what I'm going to do for you. Now God is going to bring Abraham into covenant with him. You know, when you first come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's all God and none of you. I mean, God does it for you. How did you get saved? God touched your heart. You know, when you share the gospel with somebody and they go, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Come on. I mean, have you ever heard yourself? I mean, think about it. You're telling somebody about Christ. Listen, I talked to an invisible being that you can't can't see, and I have no proof that he exists, but I can't see him, but I talked to him, and he talks back to me. People say, I'm going to call the little men in white coats to come get you. <laughs> I told you Christianity is some, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, it really is. So if you believe it, it's because a work of the Spirit happened in your heart. Yeah. Remember, Jesus said, nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. Yeah. He says, God has to reveal me to you. And God revealed himself to you. That's why you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You began to see things clearly that were obscure. You began to understand things that were ununderstandable. And that's why if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus Christ because you're searching for logical proof or, or let me tell you something, you're not going to find it in the natural. Not any more than when you see two people who are in love and you can't figure out what she sees in him, you'd have to be her to see what she sees in him. And you'd have to be him to see what he sees in her. And it cannot be logically deduced. I mean, because you've seen some couples that just don't make no sense. Come on, if you would just be honest, you're like, how does that work? Is she blind? Because I... I know that's horrible, wasn't it? That's terrible. Lord, I repent. Hallelujah. Forgive me, God. But I'm just speaking the truth. I got to keep it real. I got to keep it real. (laughs) In the beginning, God brings you into the covenant by revealing himself to you, just by taking a step of faith, saying, God, somehow, would you just give me the faith to believe it? Lord, by faith, I say, I believe. You know, sometimes you got to believe by faith. Do you believe? By faith, I say, I believe. It's like the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's some stuff I can't figure out. Don't get me wrong. Being a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you got all the answers to everything. When I get to heaven, i got a whole list of questions for God. And there's some videotape I want to see, too. (laughs) You know, take me into the archives of the history of the earth. i got to see some stuff. I want to see that David and Goliath thing. When i get, I got to see that. I want to see the parting of the Red Sea. I got to see that. There's some stuff I just got to see and I got to understand. But maybe not till I get there. And that's okay because the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. And so I never allow my heart to be shaken in the place of the revealed things because I don't understand the secret things. I keep those two categories separate. All right. So in the beginning, God brings you into the truth, but then at a certain point, he calls you into covenant with him. First, he, he makes covenant with you, and then he calls you to make covenant with him. In other words, he lets you in the door free of charge, but at a certain point, he's going to bring that bill to you. And it's going to be too much for you to pay. But then he's going to say, don't worry, my son already paid all of it for you. But the logical response is that if my son paid everything for you, you can at least give all you got. You with me? 
You ever known any... Okay, move on. (laughs) I'm about to get myself in trouble. I'm getting discernment. The Lord is teaching me discernment. (laughs) So God comes to Abraham and says, Okay, Abraham, I brought you in this thing for free, right? Yeah, that's right, Lord. I gave you my covenant for free, right? Did I ask you for anything? No, Lord, you never asked me for nothing. I gave you the promise, right? Yeah, that's right, Lord. You gave me the promise. I gave you great wealth and riches, didn't I? Yeah, that's right. You gave me great wealth and riches. And I gave the promise that your children would be like the sands of the sea. I changed your name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of a multitude, father of many nations. Yeah, that's right. You did that, Lord. That's right. That was great. Good. Okay, it's your turn. What you talking about, Lord? I got to do something. I just came to this church to receive. I just came to this church because my life's messed up. I was hoping somebody could help me. I just came to get healed because I'm broken. I'm not in a place where I can give. No, 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 Abraham, it's your turn. It's your turn. Look at the neighbor and say, it's your turn. It's your turn. Now, don't be scared. Now, don't be scared. Genesis 17, 9. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Notice the repetition. You must keep my covenant. Verse 9. Verse 10. This is the covenant that you must keep. You must keep my covenant. Keep my covenant. God repeats it again and again. Abraham, you must keep my covenant. Repeat after me. I, I must, must keep, keep yo, yo covenant. He had to emphasize it before he told him what it was. Somebody asked you, will you do what God wants you to do? He said, well, what does he want me to do? Tell me what it is first. No, no, no. That's not the way God works. God says, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to do what I tell you to do? What are you going to tell me to do? That's not the right answer. The right answer is, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. I don't care what it is. Not making any deals with you ahead of time. God God does not make deals. He makes covenants. And covenants are unconditional. Abraham, are we in covenant? Yeah, we're in covenant. Okay, good. Now let me tell you what it's going to cost you. Don't be scared. End of verse 10. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Yeah, that's about the response God got from Abraham right there. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And Abraham's probably thinking, I'm not included in this, am I? I'm 99 years old. It's not even safe. Verse 11. God's still speaking to Abraham. Verse 11. You are to undergo circumcision. You, Abraham. Oh, snap, I'm not excluded. (laughs) And it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. Verse 12. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Verse 13. 
Look at this. Look at the repetition. Look at the detail. God says, Abraham, I'm not going to give you any way around this. No room around this. No loopholes in this thing. Everybody. You're not going to spare anybody. You're not going to spare your own son. When he's born, get out that knife. Now, I just want you to know, Pastor Joseph, uh, Pastor Joseph and, and uh, Chris are going to be performing circumcisions next door after the service is over. So if you haven't got into covenant. <laughs> Verse 23, going down a little bit. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Snap. I was eight days old, and I'm so glad I don't remember it. They didn't have anesthetic back then. (laughs) Come up with a piece of wood. What's that? Bite down on this. This is your anesthetic. (laughs) Bite. And his son Ishmael was 13. I bet that was harder for Abraham than getting circumcised himself. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. What is circumcision about? Circumcision is painful. You know what it was? You know what God was saying? This is my covenant with you. You present your body. You want to be in covenant with me? Give me your body. You're going to present your body, Abraham. The sign of your covenant with me is going to be in your physical body. Your body is going to be different than the bodies of the people around you. You know, in the ancient world, they conducted business in bathhouses. Everybody in the region within a few days knew that Abraham was circumcised. And they didn't have these hang-ups about nudity that we do. Amongst brothers, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's a sign that you're different. It's a sign of separation. It's a sign that you are marked as the people of God by what happens in your physical body. Your physical body is used in a way that is different. Present your body. I'm telling you that the presentation of the body to God is not new to the New Testament. Goes all the way back. God said, Abraham, I'm going to separate you. I'm going to make you different. I'm going to sanctify you. I am going to put my mark on you, but it's a mark in your body and it's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. And every time a male child was circumcised in Israel from that day forward, it was not just a cultural marker, but it was a theology lesson for the entire community. Because whenever you saw or heard of a young boy being circumcised, it was a sign to everybody. A message went out to everybody. We are the people of God. And we are differentiated from all other peoples by a mark of the covenant in our physical bodies. My physical body bears the mark of my separation to God. And it can't be undone. It's a mark that I will bear for the rest of my life. And it was a sign to the child from the time he was born. The moment he began to talk and he would ask, he would find out what happened to him when he was eight days old. And his parents would teach him, when you go to school, you're going to find out you're different from the other kids. You know why? Because you belong to God, son. 
you belong to God. My parents used to tell me that from the time I was young. Mom and dad, can I go do this with Andre and Eric? No, you can't go with Andre and Eric. How come? Their parents said it's okay. Yeah, well, I don't care who their parents are. You're my son. I'm not their child. Their parents, they're not my child, but you're my child, and my child's going to do different. You're going to be different. You're not going to go places they go. You're not going to do things they do. Why? Because you are set apart in your body. Your body is different. Present your body to God. Now, the problem is that when the gospel was preached in the Greco-Roman world, when Paul began to take the gospel to the Greco-Roman world, circumcision became a big problem. Paul's, Paul's process, his methodology was this. When Paul would go into a new city with the gospel, the first place he would go is the synagogue. And the synagogue was a Greek-speaking place of Jewish worship. The synagogue was the place where the Jews would gather, but they were Greek-speaking Jews. They did not speak Hebrew. They spoke Greek. And so the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language. They read from the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So Paul would go in there, and he would preach salvation, not through the law, not through circumcision, but through Jesus Christ. This is a very important message for Paul's ministry. Why? Because in every synagogue, you had three groups of people. The first group of people you had were Jewish-speaking Jews, or uh, uh, Greek-speaking Jews, who had been circumcised on the eighth day. Second group you had were uh, Gentile proselytes to Judaism, which were Gentiles, non-Jews, who were attracted to the God of Israel and, and knew they had to deal with the God of Israel, knew he was the only true God, and wanted to get in, and they were willing to go through circumcision in order to get in. The third group of people were the God-fearers. The God-fearers were a group of people who were attracted to the God of Israel, knew that he was the only God, knew they had to deal with him, but were afraid to get cut. So they said, we're just going to show up at the church and see if something changes. <laughs> we're just going to hope, you know, that this stuff's going to rub off on us. And some of them were prayer warriors like Cornelius. Man, that brother was praying and giving money to the poor, but every time he saw that knife, he was like, ah, oh, no, I'm, he was moonwalking on out of there. Paul would go in and say, you ain't got to be circumcised to be saved. Just believe in Jesus for your salvation. And the God-fearers would say, I'm in. <laughs> and the Jews would throw him out. He'd go down the street, open up his own church, and all the God-fearers would follow him. The problem was there was a group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers came from Jerusalem. They followed Paul, and after he left, they went into all his churches and said, how many of y'all are, are, are circumcised here? How many of y'all are circumcised? And none of the hands would go up. He'd say, say none of y'all are saved. All of y'all going to hell. He'd be like, what? But Paul said, no, no, Paul don't know what he's talking about. If you want in this, co if you want in this covenant, we're about to bring you into the covenant. Pull out that knife. And they would do four circumcisions sometimes. And so Paul would have to come back into the churches, and he would have to put that teaching down. He said in the book of Galatians, he said, if I or an angel preach to you a gospel other than the one I, that you receive from us, let him go to hell. Said, so don't you receive it. Don't let people come in here cutting on you. Your salvation is not by the knife. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, Paul began to teach his people that circumcision was not actually about the physical body. It was more about the mind and the heart than it was the physical body. Look at this. I'm going to break this down. Romans 2.29. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. 
He says circumcision is of the heart by the spirit. Paul says you can cut off a piece of your body and it doesn't change anything. Do you know in the second century there were believers in Jesus Christ who battled sexual desire so much that they went out and got themselves castrated? That's how much they wanted to serve the Lord. There was a guy named Origen, matter of fact. He was one of the early church fathers. And he, w- he wanted to just be done with the problem. So he went and got himself castrated. Years later, some of his students, some of his disciples came to him and said, we want to do the same thing you did. He said, don't do it. It doesn't help. <laughs> it don't change nothing. You know what he discovered? The problem's not your body. The problem's your mind. When I was in eighth grade, we used to do this centipede thing. You know what centipede is, right? It's about 20 or 30 kids hold hands in a chain, and the one in front just runs. And the one in front will just make a little tiny turn. But what happens to the one at the back? His feet come off the ground. (laughs) He's holding on for dear life. He's just flying. He's just flying. You know what? Your being is a centipede. Follow me. Your mind is the front runner. Your heart is the next one, which is your emotions, your feelings. Your will is the third, your decisions. And your body is the one that just gets flung around. Your body is just flying around. When you're watching a centipede, you're not watching the front guy. You're watching the back guy. <laughs> like, I got $5 that says he's going to let go in about 28 seconds. <laughs> the problem is not the body. The problem is the mind. Paul teaches it's not the circumcision of our bodies that sets us apart to God. It's the circumcision of our hearts. And in fact... We, you know, we might breathe deeply. Oh, thank God, I ain't got to get cut in my physical body. The thing you need to realize is that the circumcision of the heart is not a less invasive circumcision. It's a deeper circumcision. God has to cut you at a deeper place. Think about it. It's written in the law of Moses, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already done it. Well, which is easier? To abstain from doing it or to abstain from thinking it? Jesus, you need a deeper circumcision, a circumcision of the mind and not just of the heart. You see, you could have the foreskin of your physical body removed while the foreskin of your heart remains. And just because a piece of your organ gets cut off doesn't mean you won't use it for evil. That is, use the rest of it. So Paul calls for us to be circumcised in our hearts before God. And he says that we are, we are the circumcision, he says, who worship by the Spirit and who put no confidence in the flesh. The mind. The mind needs to be circumcised before the body does anything different. Now, most of you know I went on a 14-day juice detox. How many of you ever went on a detox before? Raise your hands high. Raise them high. How many of you ever did a cleanser before? Raise your hands high. Come on, raise them high. Don't be, don't be scared. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, amen, amen. You know what I discovered? One of the things that I felt before I did this 14-day detox is I knew I need to exercise, okay? I need to exercise. Exercising will bring more health to my body. We're going to be talking next month about the benefits of physical exercise, specifically the benefits of cardiovascular exercise on the, the physical brain. There's been so much research about did you realize 
for example, did you realize if you did 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise twice a week, it will reduce your chances of getting dementia or Alzheimer's disease by 74%? Did you realize that? That physical exercise has a corollary with dementia and... I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I knew, man, I got to start exercise. I need to start exercising. The problem was my physical body just felt so sluggish. You know, it just felt so, my physical, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I make all these excuses. Well, I'm tired because I'm doing too much. You know how much I got on me? You know how much I got to do? You know how many people I got to care for? How many people are mad because I ain't called them? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? All those excuses. All, of it, all it is is excuses. Until you wake up and realize that there is no excuse for doing the wrong thing. And there is no excuse for not doing the right thing. Until you wake up and realize that, you will be held captive by your excuses. But what I discovered was that my physical body was sluggish because of the toxic stuff I was putting on the inside of it. The average American diet consists of 60% processed foods. Do you know what processed foods are? Processed foods are imitation nutrition. It tricks the body into thinking that it's being nourished, but there's no nourishment in it. And so after your body has digested it and hasn't got any nutrients out of it, you're starving again. Your body needs more. And you need, why? Because your body's starving for nutrition. We are eating, we can eat, you can eat 3,000 calories a day and starve to death because your body is starving for nutrients. The foods we're eating are high in calories but low in nutrition. We got to flip the script so that our foods are high in nutrition and low in calories. Okay? But... My body was so laden down with all of this processed foods that even thinking about going to the gym and getting on a treadmill, oh, Lord, I can't do that. I used to joke and tell the church, and say, shoot, every, time, every morning when I wake up and I feel that urge to work out, I just lay there till that urge passes. <laughs> so I decided to do this detox, to detoxify my body, and so I started drinking fresh fruit and vegetable juice exclusively for 14 days. Nothing but fresh fruit and vegetable juice. Purged my body of all of that processed stuff. And I'm telling you, the stuff that was coming out of me, all kinds of nasty, toxic stuff was coming out of my body. I mean, it was just moving out of my system. I was just getting set free. I was just getting set free. I was just getting free. Just free, clean, free at last. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You know what happened about, t- about seven, eight, nine, ten days into it? Energy started coming into my body. I started waking up in the morning wanting to move. And I started going and having a full day at work and coming home feeling like, i got to get out of the house. Alethea, let's go for a walk. All right, let's go. We go for an hour walk. 30 minutes down to the park. Play for 30 minutes at the park. 30 minutes back. An hour and a half, we're out. Grab my basketball and just start jogging and bouncing the ball. Jogging and bouncing the ball. I grab my basketball, go to the court, and just start shooting hoops. Then I started going to the gym and just getting on the treadmill and just running. <laughs> just feeling my body's got to move. Yeah. All this, and isn't it funny that I'm still doing all of the stuff that I was doing? Yeah. I didn't, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, I don't have time in my schedule. My schedule. <laughs> I'm too busy, my schedule. That's just an excuse. Take authority over your schedule instead of letting your schedule take authority over you. My schedule. Your schedule's going to kill you. 
Because, see, I used to talk the opposite. I used to say, I can't, you know, people who say they didn't have time to eat today, I just want to slap those people. <laughs> My wife would do it all the time, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't eaten today. I'd be like, what, what you want, a cookie? Poor you? That's just irresponsibility. What cool put a gun to your head and said, don't eat? Yo, you crying about not eating. Go downstairs and eat. Order a pizza. Stop through a McDonald's drive-thru. Eat. Because in my mind and heart, you know, you have the power to do it. But you know what? You also have the power to determine what you're going to eat. But, but follow me here. When I began to detox and get all of that toxicity out of my physical body by putting the right stuff into my physical body, energy came, strength came, peace came. I began to sleep better. I became less anxious. I began to wake up feeling joy and strength instead of waking up feeling sluggish like I've been beaten with a bat. I was more joyful during the day. I had more energy for the stuff I had to do, and I wanted to move. I started playing basketball again. I started running on a treadmill. And all it took was 14 days of detoxing, getting all that toxicity out of my body. Let me tell you something. Many of you here today, many of us here today need to detoxify our minds. You need to go on a brain detox. Because the problem is, even if you started putting good stuff in your body, you're still putting nasty stuff in your mind. And the cells of your thoughts are laden with all kinds of toxicity. You've got processed thinking going on in your brain. And it's killing you. What's killing you is the toxicity level in your mind, not in your body. Now, if you look at Romans 12.1, Paul says, present your body to God. In Romans 12.2, he explains how to present your body to God. In verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but... Be transformed by, by, by the renewing of your mind. Write this down on the back of the head of the person sitting in front of you if you need to. There is no life transformation that does not start with a renewed mind. Oh, you were so busy laughing at the joke and you missed it. There is... That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. There is no life transformation that does not begin with a renewed mind. You hearing me? So I got to transform my office. Transform your mind, honey. My body just needs a transformation. I need a total transformation. You need a total thought transformation. You need a thought transplant. You need mental liposuction. Suck all of that fat out of your mind, out of your thinking. You are bloated in your thoughts. You need a mental gastric bypass. Cut all that stuff out of your mind. You need to go on a fast. A mental fast. First Peter chapter 1 verse 11. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Did you know your mind had loins? Gird up the loins of your mind. You know what that means? In the ancient world, they wore these long flowing robes. And when you would gird up your loins, you girded up your loins just before you had to run. Because think about it. If you're running as fast as you can, you've got all this extra robe hanging down, you're going to trip and fall. 
And so when you would gird up your loins, you would reach under, grab the back of your robe, pull it up, and tuck it into your belt like a diaper. (laughs) It would get all that extra robe out of the way. Your feet are clear now. Now that you've girded up your loins, you can run. You remember Elijah when he ran ahead of the chariots? Scripture said the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he ran ahead of the chariots. That brother was running like 60 miles an hour. But first it says Elijah girded up his loins. And then the hand of the Lord came upon him and he ran ahead of the chariots. Let me tell you something. If you're running as fast as you can but you haven't girded up your loins yet, you're going to trip. Imagine Elijah running as fast as he can and tripping over his robe at 60 miles an hour. That brother's going to roll for like a mile and a half. That's why every time you start something, you end up tripping 15 days into it, and you tumble forever, and you're more damaged and destroyed afterwards than you were before. Because you didn't gird up the loins of your mind. I got a witness in this house this morning. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind? It means to get all that extra excess baggage out of the way. Anything that would cause you to trip, get rid of it. And you know what you need to get out of your mind? You need to get that negative self-thought out of your mind. All that negative stuff about you, that negative stuff. Oh, I'm so this. I'm so that. I'm this, I'm, I, I don't have any discipline. I don't have any, don't have any discipline. I hear believers say all the time, I just don't have any discipline. I don't have any di-. That's a lie. <laughs> discipline is a consequence of vision. Get it all out of your mind. And how do you do it? Now, I'm going to drop this on you real quick. I know I'm talking a lot today, but that's okay. It's good. I don't do no negative self-thought, so I always go home and say, that was good. <laughs> I look at my wife in the car, so we're driving, I was like, that was awesome today, huh? She's like, what? I'm like, my message. <laughs> She's like, you are an encouragement to yourself, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. <laughs> it's biblical, too. I watched another documentary this week called Hungry for a Change. I've been watching a lot of food documentaries. You know why? Because I need a food vision. And I need some food inspiration. You know how you renew your mind? By filling it with a vision for the right thing. See, so often you're just looking at everything wrong and trying to come up with a plan. You can't come up with a plan until you fill your mind with a vision for the right thing. So I watched this documentary called Hungry for a Change. And there's this guy in it named John Gabriel. And John Gabriel said he was 420 pounds. And he tried every diet plan known to man. And he started naming all the diets he went through. And what he would do on that diet is he would lose 30, 40, 50 pounds and then gain back 40, 50, 60 pounds. He always gained back 10 pounds more than he lost. And that's actually how he went from about, he was about 300 pounds when he started this whole dieting thing. And he, bubbled, he ballooned up to 420 pounds because he kept failing at every diet. And he said he spent three months with Dr. Atkins himself. And he said, at the end of it, all Dr. Atkins could do was yell at him for being fat. And he said, he was driving one day. Everything failed. And he said, he was driving one day, and it dawned on him. He said, it dawned on me that my body wants to be fat. I'm not trying to focus on on being overweight because it's not all about that. But but this is is an illustration. He said, he pulled over the side of the world, side of the road, and he said, until I can change my body, until, until my body doesn't want to be fat anymore, I'm going to be fat. So, so how do I change the desires of my body? And this is what he realized. I cannot do it through deprivation. You've got to write this down. You cannot change yourself by depriving yourself. Deprivation is no pathway to transformation. 
Because as soon as we think of making a change, we think of what we're going to deprive ourselves of. And now you've created a sense of loss that you have to fight, and, and you feel desperate about it after a while because you feel like, I have to fight this every day for the rest of my life. And so here's the plan he came up with, the plan. I'm going to sit down and write out my ideal diet. If I just ate completely healthy, what would that look like? And he just mapped it out. And then he picked one component of it, say, a healthy vegetable juice. I'm just going to add this. I know right now I eat like five, 6,000 calories a day of junk. All I'm going to do, I'm not going to try to deprive myself of any of that junk. I'm just going to add one big glass of, of vegetable juice a day. And so in the middle of the day, he would just drink that big glass of vegetable juice and go on and eat his pizza and, you know, sausages, whatever. And then after a while, he said, after maybe a few weeks, he said, now I'm going to add a big piece of fruit in the morning. So in the morning, he would just eat a piece of fruit and then eat all his pancakes and, you know, whatever. Right? And then he said, I'm going to add a big salad with my lunch. And so he'd eat that big old salad with his lunch, and then he'd eat that big old hamburger, french fries. But by now what he discovered was that he was just eating a little bit less pancakes than he was before because the fruit was filling him up. And then he was eating a little less hamburger and french fries because that big old salad was filling him up. And then he was eating a little less pizza in the afternoon because that big old vegetable juice was filling him up. And just piece by piece, he started adding in the components of a healthy diet. And by adding in the components of a healthy diet, he one by one began to naturally exclude the components of the unhealthy diet. One by one, they began to fall off of him until his whole diet was healthy. And when that happened, the weight started falling off of him. And now he's like under 200 pounds. He's in great shape. And he says, and I didn't do it by depriving myself of anything. Here's the key. Stop fighting the bad stuff. Just add the good stuff. Now, I'm applying this to your mind. you got to start with the mind. Because all of us can sit down and write down, a, we could fill a notebook with negative thoughts that we need to break. I'm not telling you to go home and resist your negative thoughts. Just incorporate right thinking. Incorporate right thinking. Just, and don't judge yourself. You have the whole train of negative thoughts. You know, sometimes I go back and remember something that happened to me. When I was in the sixth grade, and I'll spend 30 minutes re- recalling what happened and how wrong it was and feeling mad at that person who did it to me. And then I'll wake up and go, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. How can I do this? Oh, Lord, forgive me. And then I go through this whole shame. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Don't. No shame. No condemnation. You're in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Forget it. Just, it's like when you realize you're halfway through a pizza. Don't condemn yourself for eating half that pizza. Just stop. You realize this ain't right. Turn and start eating an apple. Just turn to an apple. It's like that with your thinking. Instead of, real, oh, I'm in the midst of this whole lustful thought. Don't stop and be ashamed of that lustful thought. Just stop and go, Lord, I praise you. Just start doing the right thing. Now, this is what I began to do. I began to do this every morning. Watch this. Every morning I get up, I look at myself in the mirror, and I say this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am not overwhelmed. I will rule my realm. I will take control of my responsibility. I will fulfill my destiny. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am not overwhelmed. I will rule my realm. I will take control of my responsibility. I will fulfill my destiny. I say it 25 times. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am not overwhelmed. I will rule my realm. I will take control of my responsibility. I will fulfill my destiny. I say it 25 times. And then I go on with my day. But when I go on with my day, you know what I do? I start meditating on the verse for the day. You know the verse for today, right? 
the verse for the day that I prescribed in my book last December 26th. When I wrote that book for this entire year, I, I prescribed one verse for you to meditate on every day this entire year, and I know all of you are doing it. I'm so thankful for a church that, you know, when I ask them to do something like this, it's going to change their life, they just do it. I'm just so thankful. Every single one of you. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands because I know all of you are doing it. All of you are doing it. You got my book, A Path Through Mighty Waters. You got it at the beginning of this year. You've just been following. And, and you're also getting my morning meditations. And my morning meditations is giving you a little devotion on that verse to meditate on. And all of you read it this morning before you came. And I'm just so thankful for your obedience. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, all of you know you can go to my website, BenjaminIsraelRobinson.com, and subscribe on the sidebar. And you'll start getting my morning meditation. You can download my book by clicking the image of it on the left sidebar uh, of that email. And you can start tomorrow if you haven't. But it, that's not for any of you here. That's for the podcast. I know all of you here have done that. You've already done it. You're already in. So I'm just give yourselves a hand for that. Come on. You guys, are, you guys are awesome. But I start meditating on that verse. And that verse this morning, today's verse is Revelation 2.26. To him who loved, uh, no, no, that's, that's Revelation 1.6. Revelation 2.26 says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end. And so I start meditating on that verse. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end. You know what I'm trying to do is not come up with an interpretation of it. Not trying to draw any insight. Because you know what we typically do with scripture? We use it. What does this mean? God, what are you trying to give me through this? As if the scripture's not important, it's a means to an end. I'm trying to pull some meat out of the scriptures. Let me tell you something. The scripture is the meat. Just focus your mind. People say, well, I don't read the Bible. How come? Because I don't understand it. Forget about understanding. Just get it in you. It'll work on you if you just get it in you. And so when I'm meditating on that verse, I'm not trying to pull stuff out of it. I'm not trying to interpret it. I'm not trying to determine what it means or what it has for me. I'm just focusing on that verse. You know what it's doing? It's simply focusing my mind on what I should be thinking of instead of trying to resist what I shouldn't be thinking of. You remember Jesus said that when a demon is cast out, the house is swept clean. If something doesn't come and dwell in that house, that demon comes back with seven of its friends, and the last state of that man is worse than that of the first. And so whenever you move something out of the house, you've got to fill the house. If you want to get past your bad thinking, you've got to fill your mind with right thinking. Stop resisting the old. Simply fill your mind with the new. And so then I just, I just start meditating on that verse, going on about my business. At about noon, I go back in the bathroom. About one, about sometime around lunchtime, I'll go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. I am not overwhelmed. I will rule my realm. I will take control of my responsibility. I will fulfill my destiny. I am not overwhelmed. I will rule my realm. I will take control of my responsibility. I will fulfill my destiny. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why am I saying that? Because throughout the day, there are moments when I feel weak. But let me tell you something. The spirit of Christ comes to strengthen you. And that means the spirit of Antichrist comes to weaken you. The spirit of Antichrist is working on you all day long to try to bring you into a place of weakness, a place of discouragement, a place of hopelessness, a place where you just feel like you can't make any progress in life where your whole life is falling apart. you got to get that Antichrist thinking out of your mind before you can begin to make progress in life. And how do you resist the spirit of Antichrist? Not by fighting Antichrist, but by embracing Christ. It is your intimacy with Christ that drives out Antichrist, not your opposition against Antichrist. Stop fighting and start embracing the right thing. You hearing me? You know what that does? It causes a detox in my mind. Detoxing my thinking. All of that negative stuff has to come out. I'm telling you, nasty stuff will come out of your mind. 
stuff that's been in there, so deep in there, been in there for so long, do you realize they say the average human being has up to 30 pounds of undigested meat in their intestines? You know that? Stuff, I'm talking about a hamburger that you ate in 1989. <laughs> a little piece of steak from your anniversary in 1993. Wow. It's all up. You got to clean. You got to get that stuff. You got some old unforgiveness from 1984. You got some old bitterness just lingering in that mind from 2001. You got just a little bit of old stale jealousy from 2004. Come on, I'm telling you, you got to detox. You got to get that stuff out of your mind. It's called the circumcision of the heart. Not cutting the body, cut that stuff out of your mind. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel that is not like the one I made with their fathers. What was the covenant he made with their fathers? He gave them the law and the covenant of circumcision. But God said, I'm getting ready to make a new covenant. And it's not like the one I made with their fathers. Which covenant they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But God said, in that day I will write my laws in their minds and in their hearts will I write them. God says, I'm getting ready to bring about an internal revelation of my law, not just an external revelation of my law. A revelation that will start with the mind and not with the body. I'm not writing it on tablets of stone anymore. I'm writing it on tablets of human hearts. God wants to get it in you. He wants to get it in your mind. He wants to get it in your heart. He wants to write it on the table, tablet of your heart, and he wants to circumcise your heart. He wants to circumcise. There's some stuff he wants to cut out of you this morning. He's cutting it out. And you know what? That's why listening to the preaching of the word of God is so important because what the preaching of the word of God does is it gives you a mental detox. Every time you sit and you hear the word of God, when you're saying amen and when you rejoice, you know what's happening? Bad stuff is just getting pushed out of your mind. It's just getting pushed. Even just sitting here this 40, 30, 40, 50 minutes, however long I've been talking, I don't know, it's probably too long, but it don't matter because what I'm doing is I'm articulating, I'm giving you a, an articulated detox I'm giving you the language of freedom. The, uh, I'm, I'm putting life-giving words into your mind. And if you could call them to mind, that's why Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will and it'll be done by my Father. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Get that word on the inside of you. Come on. Get it in you. I love that Gatorade commercial, those Gatorade commercials, where people are sweating Gatorade. And they ask, is it in you? Is it in you? Listen, you need to be sweating words of scripture. I sweat the King James Version. I sweat me some NIV. I sweat me some NKJV. I got to get the word coming out of my pores. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. God wants to circumcise your heart. You want to change the direction of your physical body? Change the direction of your heart. You want to be healthy in your body? Be healthy in your mind. You want to present your body to God? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind possesses the power either to present the body to God or to sin. I want to look at one more passage of Scripture here, and then we're going to close. I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Scripture says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Verse 6, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. 
in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. You see that? He says, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus, the Son, speaking of the incarnation, his coming into the world, being born in human flesh. He says, you prepared a body for me. Why? He says, because I've come to do your will, O God. Do you know what the purpose of your physical body is? To do the will of God. To do the will of God. He says, my body is an instrument of the will of God. My body, my physical body, it's an instrument, but it's an instrument of righteousness. And I say to you today that God wants to bring about a new song in the earth. He wants to bring about a new song in the earth. He wants to take your physical body and make it an instrument of his righteousness and of his majesty. But it starts when you take that mind of yours and you circumcise it. You gird up its loins. You move it into the spirit. And you allow the spirit of God through your mind to determine the use of your body. And that is the circumcision. The circumcision of the heart means that our bodies are different. Not in their shape and form, but in their use, in their orientation. Because our bodies are not oriented toward self-pleasure, but toward glorifying God and bringing about his will. God is able to do that in you, and he's able to do it in me. He's able to do it by faith in Jesus Christ. He's able to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you say, but I lack self-control, and I've tried to change me a thousand times. Well, yeah, so have I. You know what? You can't change you, and I can't change me. But the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And you know how you eat of the fruit of the Spirit? You plug into the life of the Spirit. And just let that fruit grow grow on you. Just let it grow on you. Shame and condemnation will not bring about the fruit of righteousness. But you know what will bring about the fruit of righteousness? Simply dwelling in God. Meditating on His Word day and night. Getting the right thoughts. Jeremiah said it. I believe it's in Jeremiah 15. He said, when your words came to me, I ate them. And they were to be the joy and the delight of my soul. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and following, Moses speaks to the people of Israel and he reminds them how the Lord led them through the wilderness for 40 years. He said, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm telling you, God has words of life for you to feed on. He's holding them out to you. He's offering to them, offering them to you. I'm just breaking off of you today that, that lie of the enemy that says you failed. That lie of the enemy that says you're inadequate. That lie of the enemy that says you can never change. That lie of the enemy that says you don't have enough self-discipline. That lie of the enemy that says you're stuck. I just break it off you right now. The Spirit of Christ is coming to strengthen you. The Holy Spirit is coming to bring about the fruit of self-control. By faith, I say, Father, that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that which you send it to accomplish. I give you praise and glory for it. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You got it. You got it. I feel it. It just clicked into your mind and heart. You got it. God bless you. We're dismissed.